Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the From Ballparks to Buzzy Beer Sportscast. I'm your host, Perry Morzinos, and today there is a great episode on tap for you guys, so let's get to it. So starting off today, I wanted to discuss the MLB trade deadline, which just took place um, yesterday, August 2nd. Um, obviously, a couple big moves made. In the division with the Yankees acquiring um, some pitchers, trading away Jordan Montgomery um, in return for Harrison Bader, also getting Montas from the A's. Um, and then you have to look at the Red Sox, who we will be talking about in a little bit, who kind of had a confusing trade deadline, and I'll mention that. But obviously the big trade has to be um, the Washington Nationals trading Juan Soto to the San Diego Padres for Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams, other prospects. But really the highlights of those deal in terms of who the Nationals are receiving um, are Gore and Abrams, both players who have been up with the big club a little bit this season but still considered prospects and hopefully for the Nationals can be their next big the next core of their next World Series winning team. Um, they trade away a big member of that core. When they won the World Series in 2019, the first year that Bryce Harper departed, Juan Soto led the way. You're looking at a guy in Juan Soto who really in any other situation wouldn't get traded. It's just kind of a perfect storm here in Washington where they have the worst record in the league. Last year, they traded away Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, um, both to the Los Angeles Dodgers. The team is being sold to um, a buyer to be named at some point. So you also have to deal with that, that if they were to trade Juan Soto, the new owners probably don't want that as what would most likely, unless they win a World Series, be the top header of their tenure as owners of the Nationals. So they had to get a deal done before that ownership sale went through. And then Juan Soto also rejected a 15-year, $440 million contract, one that would have paid out about $29 million a year, somewhere in that ballpark, um, pretty close to $30 million a year. But if you're... The San Diego Padres, I mean, you have to be thrilled. You got Juan Soto, 23 years old. Probably the best under 25 player in the game. Maybe the best hitter in terms of approach. People are calling him this generation's Ted Williams, even though his numbers are down this year. But the Padres can now pair him with Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado in the middle of the lineup. They also traded for relief pitcher Josh Hader from the Milwaukee Brewers, widely considered the best reliever in the game. So big, big moves being made by the San Diego Padres to try and catch up to the Los Angeles Dodgers in the NL West. The Padres, um, at time of this recording, are 11 and a half games back of first place, but they are in possession of the second wildcard spot 
um, currently in the National League, up three and a half games over the Phillies and the Cardinals, and behind four games um, to the Atlanta Braves, who occupied the first wild card spot. But I think we, as Red Sox fans, we have to talk about what Heim Bloom has done here, and really what, in my opinion, is one of the most confusing deadlines that the Red Sox have ever had. You look at this team who had one of the worst months in in recent memory in their July in the month of July for them. They they're winning they did not have a pitcher that picked up a victory until July thirty first. That is just a ridiculous amount of time. They dropped a ton of ground. They were eleven games above five hundred. Then they only won five of their next 23. They're back to one game up 500 here after winning the past three. But they're in last place in the AL East. They've got really three big players in Evaldi, J.D. Martinez, and Xander Bogarts who are going to be free agents after this year. In my opinion, based on what Heimblum has done, I expect them to re-sign none of those guys. Um, especially Bogarts and Martinez, I don't think are going to be resigned. And they're three games back of the wild cards, but check that two games back of the wild card spot beyond the Tampa Bay Rays, who occupy the third spot. But they also have to leapfrog the Cleveland Guardians, the Orioles, and they're tied with the White Sox right now. I I, I just don't understand what the plan was into this deadline. It's what it seems to me is that Heim Bloom went out and he said, okay, I've got number four, Christian Vasquez, JD Martinez, and Nathan Avaldi. Cause they were, they already told Xander Bogus they weren't trading him and they weren't going to trade Rafi Devers. Obviously you could put in some other relievers there, but let's say those three guys, they had a number whether it was amount of prospects, how good the prospects were, they had number four, um, Vasquez, Ivaldi, and and um, not Bogarts, um, JD Martinez, and Heimblum just wasn't going to, you know, Heimblum wasn't going to reduce the return he was getting just to make a trade. But he also wasn't going to invest in players to help better this team, kind of what last year. If you remember last year, and Heimblum was criticized again for this last year, where everybody was saying, oh, the Red Sox need a first baseman, we can't rely on, Balby Dahlbeck, and at the time, Michael Chavis, and um, Franchi, to a lesser extent, he was mostly in the outfield playing there. Um... We also need a reliever. Our bullpen's awful. One of the worst bullpens in the game. An, a starting pitcher would be nice. That was kind of the wish list last year. And what ended up happening is Bloom traded for Kyle Schwarber, a guy who's never played first base in his career, who ended up being a very good pickup once he got back from that hamstring injury, was arguably the best hitter outside of Kike for the Red Sox in that postseason. 
And he got Hansel Robles and Austin Davis, both of whom I believe have been designated for assignment. Maybe not Davis, but Robles was designated for assignment this year, who pitched sparringly in the playoffs last year, if at all. So, you can look at that two ways. You can say, well, he made one good trade for Schwarber, a trade that not many people gave him credit for, but with a better relief pitcher. If you remember, the Sox were up 2-1 in that series against the Astros. People were saying they were going to win it in five, and they ended up losing three straight in six. And... And you look at the team this year, where in free agency, they didn't re-sign Kyle Schwarber, and their big signing was Trevor Story's six-year, $120 million, which is usually peanuts for the Boston Red Sox as a big market franchise, as the Boston Red Sox, spending money on good players as they should be. Teams like the Yankees, teams like the um, Dodgers, they're spending more money than you are. When the Red Sox, as recently as four years ago, were spending the same amount of money. And now you're being passed by a team in the San Diego Padres who have big money deals on the books for Tatis and uh, Machado. And they might have a big money deal for Juan Soto in a couple years. A team that's a small market team that's behaving like a big market team. The reality is it's not fair to suggest that the Red Sox can't compete with the Mets, with the Yankees, with the Dodgers, because they don't have the resources. That's false. They're a big market franchise. John Henry owns Liverpool, and now Fenway Sports Group also owns the Pittsburgh Penguins. They can easily afford to pay on the money of the Yankees, of the Mets, of the Dodgers. This isn't a scenario like the Kansas City Royals or the Oakland Athletics where they they have to slash payroll every two years. They've got three years to make a run with homegrown talent, and then they've got to trade it all away because they're not going to sign these guys to $30 million a year contracts. You saw it with the Guardians. They had to trade away Francisco Lindor, um, and you saw it with um, the Kansas City Royals. They weren't able to keep much of that core from that 2015 World Series team in the years following. And then, obviously, the Athletics have traded – you know, Matt Chapman, they've traded Matt Olsen, um, a, a couple members of their pitching staff as well. The Red Sox should be able to spend the money to be able to bring Kyle Schwarber back in free agency. I'm not saying that if you brought Kyle Schwarber back, this team would be, you know, with the Yankees who have a 6-6-7 winning percentage and are the currently have the best record in baseball um, in terms of wins, but the Los Angeles Dodgers actually have a higher winning percentage. I I just don't understand what the plan is here. I understand that the plan is to rebuild the farm system while maintaining you know, a certain level of competitiveness like the Dodgers have done. But the fact of the matter is, the Dodgers are going out. They're trading for Mookie Betts. They're signing Freddie Freeman, trading for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner last year. Max Scherzer obviously went to the New York Mets. But they're doing this, and the they're using their farm system to trade away 
to get players. And that's really what the Red Sox should do. They should be able to trade guys like Marcel, Marcelo Mayer in the system, guys like Nick York, for guys like Juan Soto. When was the last time a player of the caliber of Juan Soto is became available on the trade market? It, it's... I, I mean, I guess Mookie Betts was probably on the level of Juan Soto in terms of ability, but Juan Soto's younger. I mean, Juan Soto's under more team control. But the Red Sox weren't in on him. They weren't on the short list. You had a team like the Cardinals. The Dodgers obviously were there. The Padres were there. Why didn't why weren't the Sox willing to offer um maybe Mayer? Um, Nick York, Tristan Casas, just guys that they can trade for to be able to bring Juan Soto to Boston. I'm not saying that we should trade for Juan Soto. I'm just saying that it, it's just the premise of we're bargain shop, we're bargain shopping, and we're the Boston Red Sox. This is something that Dave Dombrowski would have never done. And you can say what you want. He signed Chris Sale to that awful contract. He also signed Xander Bogarts, who's ext- extremely team-friendly one. And Nathan Evaldi to his, I believe, five-year, $85 million deal. And he made deadline deals that helped this team. He traded for Steve Pierce at the deadline in 2018. Steve Pierce ended up winning World Series MVP that year. I mean... Bloom came from Tampa, right? And maybe you're saying, well, you know, Tampa, they draft players, they develop them, they help out their club for three or four years, then they trade them. Except maybe for the exception of Wander Franco, who they re-signed. But the Red Sox chose to basically stay with the same team that they had last year that really had to overachieve to make it to the ALC, as Kike Hernandez had to play like Mike Trout out there in center. Um, Kike has been on the injured list. You had to get production from Garrett Whitlock, who's been a big piece, um, has been hurt, but he had to pitch. He pitched the whole season last year. He was healthy the entire season. I mean, those type of things just aren't going to happen year after year after year after year. I mean, you went into this season with Bobby Dahlbeck and Franchi Cordero, a guy who's never played first base, as your starting first baseman, and you had the worst first baseman in the league. Understandable. Now, you trade a guy like Christian Vasquez for two Astros prospects who are barely ranked in their top 30 of the Astros prospects. Not top 30 in the game, top 30 of the Astros prospects. And that situation was mind-boggling as well. I mean, you traded... There was no connection between Heim Bloom and the clubhouse. You traded Christian Vasquez. You didn't tell him there was a possibility he would be traded. He took batting practice. He had to get pulled out batting practice because they found out he got traded. None of the Red Sox players knew who was getting traded. They were asking reporters to tell them who got traded. And then Heim Bloom held a press conference in the middle of the game when the Red Sox were playing the Astros. And frankly, 
having a pretty impressive win, winning 3-2, that he's holding a press conference on the trade of Christian Vasquez. I just don't understand. Supposedly, he's here. He's in Houston um, trying to do some damage control because you could tell guys like Xander Bogert's a guy that probably should have already been re-signed. Um, certainly would have been resigned if Dave Dombrowski was still here, or really any other GM who knew that the Boston Red Sox are a big money franchise and should be re-signing their own players, not trading franchise stars like Mookie Betts, who has won the Dodgers at World Series, who had three RBIs last night in a home run for the Dodgers last night to beat the Giants. And then you look at the other deadline deals. They trade Jake Diekman for um, away. They got um, Eric Hosmer from the San Diego Padres for Jay Groom. Reese McGuire came back in that trade for um, Jake Diekman, who's a catcher. Well, Jake Diekman's a pitcher. Reese McGuire's a catcher from the White Sox. So now, if you just look at the diamond... First base, you've got a 32-year-old Eric Hosmer who isn't having a great season, but certainly an upgrade over Dahlbeck and um, and um, Cordero. You go to second base where it will be Trevor Story when he comes back, but right now it's um, Christian Arroyo or... The guy whose name I cannot remember, who's saying sub-100 on this season, something Sanchez, I believe. Xander Bogarts at short. Rafi Devers at third base. Both players who might not be on this team next year because of the Red Sox' inability to properly gauge the market and offer their players what they're worth. I understand letting Xander Bogarts go if you think he's going to become a third baseman. But don't re, don't lowball Xander Bogarts, and certainly don't lowball Rafi Devers, who's right up there with Juan Soto as one of the best young hitters in the game. Um, and they offered him eight years, one hundred sixty-eight million. Rafi Devers could probably get thirty million a year. And as time goes by, I'm starting to think less and less that's going to be from the Boston Red Sox. Left field, you've got Tommy Pham, who they acquired from the Cincinnati Reds. Center field, Jaron Duran, and right field, Verdugo. They're probably going to move Alex Verdugo from left field to right field. I I, I think you'll have a hard time. Oh, and excuse me, catcher Kevin Plowecki, who's hitting, I believe, 150 this year. You're going to have a hard time convincing me that that is a team that the Boston Red Sox should feel good about fielding a big money franchise when the Dodgers are fielding Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Freddie Freeman, those types of guys, Cody Bellinger in their lineup on a daily basis, and maybe the Red Sox backdoor their way into a playoff spot. But the goal here shouldn't be a playoff appearance. We're not the Sacramento Kings or the Buffalo Sabres or the Seattle Mariners who haven't been to the playoffs since 2001. This is the Boston Red Sox. The goal here is World Series champions. And I don't know how much Heim Bloom realizes that. And I think 
the amount of criticism he's gotten for these past two trade deadlines for their inability to really re-sign these star players. And you look at the deal with Mookie Betts. If they had to trade him, and I think that was partly due to Mookie not wanting to be in Boston, not just due to money. I think that was partly due to him not wanting to be in Boston. You had to trade him. You got Alex Verdugo, who by most metrics is a league average outfielder. Connor Wong, who is at best case scenario backup catcher. And you got Jeter Downs, who at best, when he fully develops, is a utility guy. I mean, and you know, they they weren't going to win the Mookie Betts trade, but they could have gotten, hopefully, I think they could have gotten something better. And part of, I'm not going to blame the Mookie trade on Heimbloom, but this inability to properly read the importance of guys like Xander Bogarts, guys like Rafi Devers, the importance of those types of guys to the Boston Red Sox has just been understated by really the ownership in John Henry and Tom Werner. And the front office has un- also underestimated the importance of these guys to the Boston Red Sox. And this all isn't Bloom's fault. I, I think John Henry told him to cut payroll, but I, I, I just don't get that when, you know, you're going to let teams like the Dodgers, the Mets, and the Yankees, teams that you have historically spent money on the level of that team, and and you're letting the pass you buy here in recent years. But heading on to a more somber note to close out, this episode um on sunday i'm sure um and pretty much a lot of people know bill russell uh passed away and he he was the go of basketball before michael jordan showed up i mean i'm sure you know his accomplishments on the court as a nba player and in college 11 championships in 13 seasons he spent the last three seasons as a player coach, and that's when he won two of his titles in 1968 and 1969. First black head coach in NBA history. The NBA Finals MVP trophy was named in his honor. Two NCAA championships with University of San Francisco. Two-time first-team All-American. 1956 Olympic school male. 2011 Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient. Five NBA MVP awards, 2019 NBA Lifetime Achievement Award, 11 All-NBA selections in 13 years, 12 All-Star selections in 13 years, 1963 All-Star Game MVP, second most all-time rebounds with 21,620, 10-0 in Game 7s, and a member of the Basketball Hall of Fame. Look, I think we can talk all we want about Bill Russell on the court as really the first shot blocker in the league, the guy that would rebound the ball and then kick out Bob Cousy, who would run the floor. This was kind of the team led by Bill Russell that started the fast break offense, and Bill Russell was immensely important to the game of basketball 
Um, as I mentioned, he was considered the GOAT really before Michael Jordan. He, he was the guy who, even though he couldn't shoot that well, he was the guy you'd want to take in the last shot. He was the guy whose, whose hands you'd want the ball in. He was the guy, really, who turned out to be the greatest winner in American sports with those Olympic NBA championships. But I think Bill Russell would prefer that he isn't just known as a basketball player. He was a civil rights activist. He attended that Cleveland summit with Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown. He he refused to be the first black player inducted into the Hall of Fame. He didn't want his jersey retired. Eventually, Tommy Heinsohn um, convinced him to have his jersey retired, but they did it in a private ceremony with just his former teammates because he felt as though Boston... He didn't play for the city of Boston, which he called a flea market of racism. He played for his teammates. He played for his coach, Red Arback. He played for himself. And although you look at his stats on the court, and that's, that's the first thing that ESPN will bring up. But as a human being, this guy did so much for the city of Boston, for the NBA, for America, to change how black people were viewed during one situation where black players weren't allowed to stay at the hotel that the white players were staying at. Bill Russell and the black players boycotted the game. That That's unheard of. And you cannot imagine a team or a group of players doing that today. And Bill Russell had probably the most courage out of any basketball player ever. And so it's not Sunday was not just a sad day for Celtics fans or people that lived in Boston or people that are NBA fans. Sunday was just a sad day for America as they lost not just argue a top 10 basketball player of all time, but they lost one of the greatest activists and athlete or person that used the platform the way that should be um, truly in history. Um, but that will do it for us today, guys. As always, thank you for listening. Um, if you like this podcast, please pass it along to people who you also think might like it, especially Boston sports fans. We've been doing a little more um, Boston-oriented things here recently. Um as always, guys, visit www.frompaulparksubuzzerbeers.com. Our Instagram is there. Our Twitter is there. Our, our email is there. Guys, please let us know if you have any segment ideas. Um, maybe you want to get on the show. Positive or negative feedback, we'd love to hear. Maybe you want to hear us talk curling. I, I don't know, but something um, like a segment idea that you would like to hear talked about. Um, even if you want to come on the show, I'm sure we could figure out something. But guys, thank you for listening. I'm Perry Mortinos signing out with the From Ballparks to Buzzer Beer Sportscast. Have a good one, everybody.